You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. I invite you guys to actually open up to uh, Romans chapter 6. And uh, we're just going to read a couple of scriptures this morning to root us. Thank you so much, Mr. Matt. Root us in the New Testament as we get along with um, our conversation this morning. If we have the intentional question first this morning, the intentional question for this conversation on the stage as well as if you're in a city group or just with your uh, friends, your family, your community, uh, the people you follow Jesus with, maybe you'd ask somebody this question, how can we be liberated uh, from sin? Um, uh, I've heard it say before that, that the gift of Jesus... Uh, the gift of Jesus is life. That's actually exactly what it says at the end of the passage we'll read today in Romans 6. The gift of Jesus is eternal life and abundant life, but it needs to be opened. Uh, it needs to be accessed by faith, not by earning, but by receiving and trusting. And so that's the topic of conversation. As you know, we've been in this study in the book of Genesis. If we could have the poster up there as the big kind of confusing Macaulay Culkin Home Alone map uh, of the book of Genesis from Genesis 1 through 50. As we've been reading this, one of the tasks that we have to do uh, as just Bible readers in the Old Testament is even before we ask the question, what does this mean for me? We have to ask the question, what does this mean in light of the cross? And that's kind of the difficulty sometimes of the Old Testament is because uh, it's telling about a covenant that we don't live in anymore. Uh, it's very valuable because it reveals the same character. We don't have an Old Testament God, a New Testament God, a mad God, and a nice God, or a Jesus God, and a Father. They're all one God, and it's the same God telling the same story of redemptive purpose, but the covenant, the way he relates to us, is different. And so, um, if, if I could, I'm going to just, again, catch everybody up on this snapshot here on the top, where we on your left side of the screen, and then we're going to pull that into uh, the New Testament. We have to ask ourselves, what does this mean in light of the cross? And then we can ask, what does this mean in light of my life, in light of uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? Sound like a plan? Okay, so we've been over here on this side uh, of the map, and uh, if you look at the bottom partition, the bottom quadrant on the far left there, um, for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at what theologians just call the fall. And, uh, and so, like I said, the Old Testament oftentimes is the Instagram picture to the New Testament's subtitle. Uh, the Old Testament paints a picture and it uh, shows us a vivid uh, storyline, really, of what sin actually looks, at, looks like. So it's not a theory, it becomes a story, it comes to life, and it shows what humanity looked like um, in the context of uninterrupted sin, that, uh, that God had a season when uh, he was not intervening that ultimately results in the flood in chapter 6, which we'll get to next week, which is why we've kind of taken a pause right here. And, and so uh, what, what we've seen, this is what Paul is going to call it, uh, on the bottom left hand of the screen is a condition called sin slavery. Uh, this is what Paul uses in the New Testament in Romans. He says, we're not just friends of sin. We don't just flirt with sin. We don't just have pet hobbies of sin. No, in fact, before Jesus and without Jesus in 2019, we are slaves to sin. This is what Paul's going to say. This is what Paul's saying. And, and, we, and we saw this in the Instagram picture, and it's connected now in the Instagram statement that we'll read in Romans chapter 6, that this was illustrated through uh, Cain and Abel, and this was illustrated through Lamech, and this was illustrated through all the thousand years of genealogy that they weren't just messing with sin or toying with sin or flirting with sin. No, they were married to sin. They became a slave to sin, and sin became their master. And, uh, and that's what the thousand years is showing. It's, it's showing that of all the different types of personalities and social you know, situations and you know, uh, handed down wisdom of learning from mistakes, that, that none of those things were um, effectual in freeing the people from sin. They were slaves to sin. They were trapped in sin. 
And, uh, and that's exactly, I think, what Paul would be saying to us. So I'm going to read the passage here to talk about the question, how do we become free of that? But um, it's just saying if, if you're a man, if you're a woman, if you're a child, if you're smart, if you're not so smart, if you're talented, if you're not so talented, if you're rich or if you're poor, if you're Democrat or Republican, it really doesn't matter because uh, sin is not just an accident or an action. It's an animated force that dominates us. The Webster Dictionary is a dominating force. That's what it says. It renders the, the person underneath this, the, the, the sin relationship to be helpless. Uh, and that's exactly what, what Paul's saying, is that it could be a profession, it could be a drug, it could be um, approval, it could be uh, any number of things. If it wasn't one thing, it'd be another thing, because without Christ, uh, it's saying that humanity is born into this kind of uh, sin cycle, that, uh, the, that same snake that... God warned Cain about that jumped on Cain and became it's his ruler, uh, his ruler really over, over, over humanity outside of Jesus Christ. Let me just read some of these passages uh, to help get us going, and then I'll invite um, Paul to the stage as well as Ashley. Starting in verse 3, Paul, a New Testament apostle of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, and eyewitness of Jesus, uh, is speaking to the church, uh, reminding them of what Jesus has done on the cross. And uh, he's making a really bold claim. He is, uh, he is making the claim that humanity is under a sin slavery, but he's also making a, a further claim that anybody who would, what he's going to say, die with Christ, be baptized with Christ unto his death, um, is actually not living here anymore by the same rules. That somehow when, when somebody, a boy, a woman, a child, a man, a rich or poor Republican or Democrat, were to be baptized into the death of Jesus, they would literally become, uh, they, they would escape ex all of the things that humanity has spiraled downwards in, in the thousands of years that it tried to get out of its sin, sin slavery. And this is what he says. He says, don't you know that when you were baptized, I was baptized in 2001, just weeks before September 11th in, in uh, Lake Michigan. And, and I don't know where you were baptized, but if you were baptized and if you are baptized as a symbol, symbol of baptism doesn't, doesn't, free you from slavery. It's an outward demonstration of what's inwardly happened. But if you're baptized, like in the spiritual way, not just in the sign up for the baptism thing, then didn't you know that you were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live new life. So, so baptism becomes the symbol that Paul wants to use to explain to us today or to explain to that church back then exactly what it means to be free, to, to not be a master to an old, an old system, a system that, that objectifies people and subjugates people, a system that uses people, a system that causes war and tyranny and violence and, and greed and manipulation and, and corruption. It's like, it's like he's going to say basically that there's no exit and escape from that thing except for this symbol of baptism. For if we have been united with him in a death like his... Not just like a Lazarus and then raised from the dead kind of miracle, uh, or not just dead for any reason. It has to be a certain kind of death, a death, a death like his, he's going to go on and explain. We will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection that's like his. For we know that our old self was crucified, and here's the context clue of what he means. He's not saying we go out and commit some crime and try to be re-crucified the way that Christ was crucified, or somehow die, or or commit suicide, or something like that. It's not, it's not that kind of a death. It's, it's a different kind of death. It's a death like his. And he says, if we can be crucified with him, 
then our body would no longer be ruled by sin. That would be done away with, and we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free of sin. So the old self will die, and the new self will come alive to him. There's, a, there's an identity change. Remember when I found out that I was not physically strong enough to play varsity basketball, and a small part of myself died. And... Uh, and my time changed, my friend's circle changed, my, my shoes and the way I spent money changed, and, and I started playing guitar, literally, because of that decision and that thing that happened in my life. An old thing died. It's a kind of death. It's an ending. You have to cope with it and mourn it. It's like I don't, my whole, my, my eating regimen changed. Everything's changing. There's a death. There's a death of an old way, which is good news because it gives life to a, to a new kind of way, which led to me meeting Kyra, so... That was a good thing. Uh, verse, uh, verse 16. Oh, yes, correct. Verse, uh, verse 16, which skips a couple of verses. Don't you know then, when you offer yourselves as someone, as an obedient slave, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So, so that's a very important part of this, this line of passage, and we'll pause there as we, we'll have a, our interview get started here. But um, he, has, he has eliminated in that passage the neutral ground to, between the opportunity to be a slave to sin or a slave to obedience, to right relationship with Jesus. There's no middle ground between. Did you see how that was a dichotomy? It was a duality. It was just one or the other. And, and so the, the best picture that came to mind in this passage, and I'll leave it with you, but when I was born, I was born in Hong Kong to my mother, who's an American citizen. And so I was actually born, I was thinking about it this week, with dual citizenship. That's kind of cool, right? So I kind of like could live in both places and be a citizen and enjoy the benefits of both of those places as a sub-18-year-old. But then things changed because when I turned 18, they, they sent a letter in the mail and I had to make a decision about which citizen, citizen I was going to be a part of. And, uh, and I had never even thought about what it would mean, you know, to be a citizen and actually I had to talk to my parents about it. But, you know, they basically sat me down and talked to me about, like, it has to do with rights and responsibilities. Like, uh, if you're a citizen of America and there's a war and there's a draft, then you would be responsible to own up to that part of your citizenship. And so if I were to choose American citizenship, then I would have the rights of going to certain colleges and I have the rights to certain uh, ability to go run for office. Apparently, I can't run for president. I know you're disappointed in that. But I can run for senator, apparently, and congressperson uh, because I'm an American citizen. If I was a Chinese citizen, I couldn't do that. And so there was a a line, and like I couldn't go and be a citizen to both at the same time. I had to die to one citizenship. I had to close the door to one citizenship, and I had to open the door to another. And so that's, that's what I'm getting at. If I could get the question back up here that we'll talk about today is... Um, Paul, Paul paints a portrait of what it means to be, to be free of sin. Um, and when he does, he's not talking about a, a behavioral change or the power of habit. He's talking about the power of a new identity, the power of a new citizenship, of a new, of a new government. See, like when we took the fruit and the spiral began, we actually inherited two problems. One was we... We were exiled from the original government, the original right to walk with God, the original right to bring our needs before him, the original right and responsibility 
and the joy and the privilege to have right relationship and represent him everywhere we went. And when we stepped out of that, we lost our capacity to do that. We lost our citizenship card. We no longer could live there. There were flaming swords now that separated us from God and the tree of life. But then there was a second problem because because the sleight of hand was the belief that not only were we representing God, that we were gods and that we could rule on our own, but the truth is we were always images. We were never gods. So we were always going to be a master of something. If there's any Bob Dylan song that got it right, that was the line. We're a master of something. We're a slave to somebody because we were not gods. We were images of a God. And so what happened in that sleight of hand is Cain could never have ruled over the serpent. The serpent was always to rule over him. And so we stepped one foot out of citizenship and residence in heaven, and we stepped directly into the hands of slavery to a whole another kingdom. And if that kingdom uh, generated, a, generated a, a scarcity, then we would not have enough. And if that kingdom generated a, a culture that demanded performance, that demanded unforgiveness, that demanded bitterness and self-reliance, if that culture proclaimed that as a government, we were forced to live under it. And so that's exactly, that's precisely what King Jesus, that's what Messiah, you know, Jesus Christ is in his last name. It's not Mary, Joseph, Mary Christ and Joseph Christ. It's like King Jesus, the Messiah, has come to offer a kingdom that we can live under today, not later. And our new life is not just something that we do when our heart starts beating. Our new life is a bold claim that says we don't live by the government of this world anymore. We don't live by the rules and edicts and regulations and speculations. In fact, no, we live by a new way, a new truth, and a new life. So this is my sermon and sentence here, and we're gonna um, have some testimony this morning, but um, this is what I believe you know, we could answer the question with wholeheartedly. Through dying to old ways, and I put parentheses around truths, because they still feel true until somebody tells us they're not true. Nobody says, hey, I really love to believe in lies. People believe in their version of the truth, which actually isn't true. So we'll call them truth because that's technically how they sit in our mind. There's areas of our life that still operate in the old government, the way that we treat people and don't forgive people and the way that we hoard for ourselves and so forth. Like we can still see parts of ourselves that still want to listen to the old government. But those are pseudo-truths. Those are not truth. But if we are able to die to that way, to, to permanently uh, forego our citizenship in that place, there's a whole nother way of life Jesus is making claim and Paul to live in freedom today is what we'll discuss. How can we live in this freedom of a new way, a new truth, and a new life? How about a hand for Paul Garrigan and Ashley Dills as, she makes, as they make their way to the stage to share some of their story. And I'm gonna help uh, get some seats going here. Um, Paul, do you see an extra microphone anywhere nearby as I move these chairs around? Okay, grab it, and we're gonna turn on the button until it turns green. And so uh, some of you guys know um, Paul, many of you guys do. He is a, uh, a deacon here uh, at City Lights, and he serves on, which committee are you on, Mr. Paul? Uh, benevolence. Okay, yeah, we just puts the, push the main button here. Benevolence, I heard you say, and what else? Missions. And missions, very, very good. There it is, green. Let me... Um, Does this work? Yeah, you sit yeah. there, that's great. And, uh, and actually, I'm going to pass the microphone to you first. Uh, well, actually, I'll, I'll, you hang on to yours, and I'm going to pass... Uh, her mind. Um, Ashley, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How long have you been at City Lights? And, um, and how's your day going so far? How about that? Okay. Great. I'm Ashley Dills. I've been at City Lights since December of 2015. Um, I'm from Atlanta, and I've met a lot of you, but for some of you that don't know me, I'll share a little bit of my story today. 
All right, so um, just to, to frame up the conversation again, if people came in late or distracted by Matt's handsomeness as he came down with the chairs, is every now and again, I want to stop talking and let you guys have a break of that uh, and, uh, and also take a time to reflect and respond. What does this mean? Um, I think the power of story helps so powerfully. Uh, the power of personal testimony, like now, not like thousands of years ago, helps the journey of head to heart, which I know is so difficult for most of us. What does this mean? And this God seems so far off and so distant and so long, long ago in a far, far country, far away, but he's still here. And that same God that speaks to us and that same dynamic of sin and freedom is still here today. And so that's exactly why I've asked them up. It's an equipping opportunity. It's a time to be pluralistic in hearing the voice of God together. It's a time to share story and get to know one another just beyond names and faces and just kind of hear what God is doing. And so I've asked them already just to kind of prepare their heart for sharing just around that, that one idea of, of sin slavery and then the power of the resurrected Christ through baptism, through the resurrection, that we can walk in a new kind of life. Um, why don't we start with Ashley, since you're closest here, and uh, I'm really excited to hear from you, Ash. Um, but why don't we just start with that, that first question, you know, if, if, if you use that term, you know, what, what do you think sin slavery has looked like, you know, in your life? Like something we talked about a little bit on the phone that felt like maybe it had its hold on you. And what was that like? And, and, t- and talk about a little bit how... Um, God um, spoke to that or, t- or touched that in your life. Yeah? You ready? Yeah. Boom, let's go. Ready. Okay. Um, so I would say in my life, um, something that um, I struggle with a lot is addictions. Um, I remember when he asked me to come up and speak, I was just like, Lord, what bring memories or whatever you want me to speak about. And I remember when I was 19, um, I was sitting in my car of a four-day drug binge and I hadn't slept or eaten in four days, and and I just started bawling, crying. And I probably sat in the car for hours, but it seemed like 10, 15 minutes. And um, I just started bawling, crying. I just started thinking, like, I I am a slave to, like, 10 different addictions at only 19 years old. And I think at that time I had a lot of anger in my heart, and so I went to the world to um, to try to to overcome my anger and to just like seek justice in my heart and every time that um, I went into the world I just really feel like um, it's like it's like when you're in that cycle you want more and more and your heart continues to be depleted um, because of the sin you know and so like my soul was thirsting for something more and um, I really just started walking with Jesus I would say three years ago through here at City Lights a lot of people like Paul and Julianne's group and Sydney Ann and just different play- people that have played a huge impact on speaking truth into me. Um, I think I grew up with, um, you know, just a lot of self-hate thoughts. And so through that has kind of created me to go out into the world and just like seek um, drugs and alcohol abuse and different things throughout my life that, you know, I seek that out to try to not have to, to numb my heart, to not have to feel the feelings of um, the brokenness of childhood and just different people throughout my life that hurt me. Um, and I've just seen the redemption of God's love and like him coming into every place of my heart, a little time, a little bit at a time, and just redeeming those places, a love that like is just so overwhelming that um, that just, you know, has has just changed my life, it's changed my actions, it's changed the people that I hang out with, it's changed, um, uh, I spend, 
I think most of it is my choice to spend time with God, uh, my choice through prayer, my choice through, it's like I was telling Oliver the other day, a story I was going to share with y'all, is um, on Monday I had like a major uh, panic attack, and typically in those moments, like I want to go to the world, like I want to go to, you know, I still have a craving, like I still want to go to drink, you know, or I still want to take a pain medicine or whatever it may be. But I called my best friend, Kelsey, and I was like, girl, I need you. I need community, you know? And, like, I was like, I need you to pray with me. I need to worship Jesus with you. Like, and so instead of, like, going into the world and seeking those things, like, I, I seeked out my, my closest friend and, you know, just really, like, surrendered my heart in that moment. So. Could we just take a second to celebrate that and celebrate the power of the gospel? It's so good. So good. And um, definitely, I mean, when I hear that story, I hear power. I don't just hear good advice. I hear good news. And um, so let me just pinpoint on one, one little word there that I thought would be helpful, and, uh, and then we will head over to Paul next. But, um, um, you know, like one of the words that was up there in, in the screen in terms of um, living in a new, in a new identity uh, revolves around um, understanding and deeply, I heard you talk about it a little bit, um, accepting truths you know it says in john that like it's the truth that sets us free you know it's um and, and that really does become the linchpin i think as i've heard in your story that there were um we you talked a little bit about family history and other experiences and relationships that um it's really it, it wasn't that those relationships probably changed overnight but it, it's the truth about what those relationships were and who jesus is anything come to mind when you think about maybe a lie that used to hold you, and maybe a truth that you're you're leaning into these days. Uh, come, anything come to mind in that in that way of, of a lie and a truth? Yeah, I would say um, the lie of just like really feeling unworthy to be a child of God, um, or to be in presence of like good-hearted people, um, and just not believing in myself, just because of a lot of untruth that was spoken over me, um, an identity that was put on me by people in my life. Um, and I would say Psalm 139 has just um, completely wrecked my heart in so many ways, just to know that we are, um, we are made in God's image, and, um, and just to know that he, like, created us in our mother's womb and knit all of us together, you know? And so I think that's been a huge impact, and not only that, but just being around women that lift each other up I grew up in a community where women break each other down. So being around women that speak truth into you, speak life, has been a huge impact on overcoming those lies. And, um, and just like if the, Holy, if the Holy Spirit or God puts something on your heart to speak to somebody, you know, like you don't know what the battle they're fighting in their mind. And so when, when you speak that over them, it just brings so much life. And um, I've just seen God work in that way in many ways. That's good. Um, just one last question, and it can, it can be short or, or it can be long if you, if you have something on your heart about it. But what's your, what's your favorite thing? And there's so many things, I'm sure, you know, Psalm 139 and benefits and all those things that we receive. Um, but, but what's your favorite thing about life in Jesus? For somebody that's out there maybe not feeling that right now and really longing for that and really, like, maybe discouraged or, you know, wondering if it's worth it, you know, what's your favorite thing about resurrection life in Jesus? Yeah, I would say that my favorite thing in Jesus is um, to see him come, like, 
it's like a heart transplant and just to see like him change the actions of my life and to um you know to come into every place of my heart to like love us so deeply and dearly that he wants to come into all those broken places you know we sing songs all the time and we read the bible and things and and I remember when I came to city lights Y'all were talking about intimacy with God. I'm like, what is intimacy, first off? (laughs) And then second off, what is it with God, you know? And so I think, um, you know, I started praying. I said, God, like, what is intimacy with you? And he started showing up. And, you know, I think the most beautiful thing is, like, when we pray something, regardless of of God's timing, like, he always comes through and answers. And and so seeing him show up in intimate ways in my life has – um, has been such a huge impact, too, on on the way I live my life. And um, it's not about, like, doing things, like, because I have to, but it's because, like, I genuinely want to spend time with the Lord. I genuinely want to pray with Him and talk with Him and, and surrender my heart to Him, you know? So, um, yeah. That's good. That's a good answer, is it not? Awesome, awesome. Um, we're going to uh, switch lanes here to uh, Paul. Everybody say hey to Paul Garrigan. Paul, you just jump on in, man. I, I, you're, you're ready to preach, right. I can tell. Yeah, now, just uh, tell go. us about, you know, what does freedom look like in Christ and, and how, how has he broken in a very personal, real yeah. way uh, into your life? So a lot of y'all probably know uh, my story, especially my high school story. Um, for me, kind of around the middle school time, high school time, uh, fell into pornography. And uh, that, was the, that was the sin that kind of brought me to my knees. I've always been like a good person, good kid, that kind of thing, and never really got in trouble except one time I punched a kid in third grade. Um, I know that was bad. Got in trouble for that. Um, but yeah, so that, that really like kind of came into my life and it, and it was kind of like what Ashley was saying. Every time something would happen or I get stressed or whatever, like that was my kind of go-to sin. And every time I went to it, it left me more drained than, than I was before. It was, um, and and it got to the point to where like I hated the sin, but I couldn't overcome the sin. I I wasn't strong enough to do it. Um, and I, I did not know how to overcome it. And so, uh, at one point, I came, uh, I met with my small group leader at the time in high school, uh, Ralph Young, and he, uh, and I, I just confessed everything to him. Really, that means I, trans- I, I cried for an hour and a half of the two hours we talked and kind of confessed everything to him. And it was just like, that was, a, that was the first time where anyone knew the deepest, darkest parts of my life. And his response was not judgment. It was not hate. It was not anger. It was not like, you should have done better. You should do better. Anything like that. It was just like, all right, well, this is where you're at. Um, God still loves you. And it was just like, I'd never received a a response like that. never expected to receive a response like that. And so that was kind of the the first indicator for me of of kind of who Christ was and and who Christ is. Um, He's just such a generous God, such a generous friend and father. Um, he's a he's a bridegroom who who wants to pursue his, his bride. He wants to pursue us. And I remember kind of fast forward a few years in, into my college years, um, I went down to a, a little a conference that was happening in Atlanta. And during this conference, I was at the at the kind of the front area, um, just just praying. And I remember the the father speaking to my heart, and he said, "I love you." And like it's such a it's such a simple phrase, but. It, it, I don't know, it, um, it broke off so much shame and, and, and so much just like, just really, I, honestly, it was, it was shame that I had experienced up until that point. And 
just the Father's love is just so, so powerful. It's so, so good. And, and he just continues to sh- show up in moments like that where it's like I'm struggling with something. I'm, I'm struggling with fear or anxiety or I'm struggling and, and want to go back to my old ways. And, and he just, it just time and time again, not, not in one way but in several ways, several different avenues, the, the scriptures, the prayer, friendships, the community, that kind of thing. He just shows up and, and he shows me that he loves me. And it's, it's amazing. It really is. Uh, favorite thing, and you kind of talked about it a little bit, but as you walk that out in, in day-to-day life and, mm-hmm. you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, um, what is your favorite thing about um, the new life, the resurrection life? Yeah. Um, I'm going to get a little emotional. Honestly, just the friendship. I always have a faithful friend. That I can return to, even when I'm broken. That's it. It's um, so good. Thank you guys so much for for sharing. Before you guys go, I, I wondered if I just, you know, I, I can hear the stories that are being shared, and as a pastor here and and dad and friend and stuff, I know that there's people that are going through exactly, have gone through, are going through, or will go through exactly what exact situational things that you guys are going through. If we could take a minute just for you guys from the authority of your story to pray, you know, and knowing what you know in Christ based on your personal walk with him to pray for that exact same thing to happen for others. Uh, would you guys be up for that? Yeah. In the order that we shared? Yeah. Okay. Would you guys be up for a prayer time? Just real quickly. I'm going to have uh, Ashley pray um, and then Paul pray. Just whatever's on your heart. Um, and, uh, and this is an exciting thing. I, you know, you get the sense that God loves to do things again and repeat his grace and mercy. So let me just pass the microphone to you and you okay. lead us off, okay? Sounds good. Yeah. Abba, Father, we just, um, we come to you and we just um, thank you that your mercies are new every day. We thank you that you come after our heart and um, that in, um, in Romans it talks about the renewing of our mind and we just... Um, we just come to you and we surrender our hearts. And I just pray over everyone here that um, has something that they're struggling with um, through through brokenness or um, through anger, through self-hate thoughts, through suicidal thoughts. And I just, um, I just loosen these things in the name of Jesus and I just bind your truth over them, Lord God. I just ask that you would, um, you would bring people um, to and around them to speak your truth through them. And, Lord, that there would just be a redemption in their heart. And um, we just ask for your love to come into every place. I just think of the song Reckless Love and that you, that you just go into every place of their heart and that you would just redeem them. And, um, but more importantly, that it would be for um, your kingdom, for the glory of your kingdom, Lord. And we just ask that your kingdom come here on earth as in heaven. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Amen. And Lord, I want to follow that up and just thank you for for the life that you bring, for the, the hope that you bring, the places where we feel like we will never have victory or will never fully overcome. You are a God of victory. You are a God of overcoming. And you are more powerful than, than, than anything we could even imagine. God, you are, you are a God who speaks truth. You gave us your scriptures so that when we are weak, we have something strong to lean against. And you gave us friendships, and, and you gave us, you gave us 
uh, honestly, prayer community with you, Jesus, that, that we can come to you and we can ask for things and that you hear us. You're an intimate father. God, you hear us when we pray, even when it doesn't feel like it. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. One more hand for these guys as they go to take their seats. Really, really, um, really, really special um, and thankful for you guys uh, in, in your story and the way you guys just prepared and were vulnerable and open. And, um, and, I, and, I, and, and I know that, um, and I know that um, God, God moves in, in times like these as we share our hearts openly with one another. Um, just to, kind of a closing thought, and we're going to kind of move into communion here um, in just a moment. Uh, but if we can get that kind of sermon and sentence up there, um, I really do think, even in reflection this morning and listening to Ashley and Paul's story and considering the text, I'll read the text, actually the closing statement that Paul's going to make at the end of his letter is he's appealing to these people that even though things on the outside don't look like a new government, even though life sometimes lies to us about who we are in Christ and where we are in life, um, that there is a truer truth um, than the things that we oftentimes allow ourselves to believe. And so I almost want to focus us on that that word with the, with the semicolons around it, um, it is the truth that's the issue. Um, that's, that's precisely what Jesus says is what sanctifies us. Um, sanctification is a fancy word of just growing closer to Jesus and being more like him. It's not the trying, it's the trusting, and it's the truth that sets us free. It's the truth that sets us free. It's, it's the, we're sanctified, Jesus would say, by, by the truth. And so the discipleship process of of growing to be more free, to be a more free person, starts with the inventory. What am I believing that's not right? Because, because if there's any lack of joy or any lack of hope, you know, Bill Johnson, famous Bethel pastor guy, always says, you know, it's always it's under an influence of a lie. It's under an influence of a lie. We were not we were not made to just survive, uh, to kind of be, you know, weekend at Bernie's like living the dead life, like trying to keep it awake. It's like we are meant to live in this promise today, not later. And, and, and the core vehicle to walk into new life and new light, the only thing separating us from freedom is truth. And so what's the truth that's missing? What's the truth that's missing? You know, it's not what's the habit that needs to be kicked or, or it's not, think about that process. It's, it's, not, it's not the um, first and foremost, the new pattern, you know, to be implied or installed into our life. It has to first come with the truth. And so, so here's, the, here's the way that Paul sums it up in the passage and the way that I think we can re- kind of respond in communion this morning. But um, he says in verse 17, um, be thankful this morning if you're in Christ. If you know the truth or don't know the truth yet or if you're no fuzzy, kind of half the truth, just even knowing that there's a better truth out there than the truth we're living in is encouraging, that there's another land to live in if we haven't quite received it yet. But he says, we want, to be, we want to be practicing a thankfulness. We want to be practicing a thankfulness that there's something that God wants to give us, to free us from um, the sin-slaved life, wherever we are, wherever patterns we're stuck in. And though you used to be a slave to sin, notice he's not saying at one day you'll be free. You used to be, meaning today you are no longer a slave to sin. You don't have to, like if, if China called me today and said, I want you to come and be a you know, drafted in the army, like, I'm not endowed to them. I'm not, I don't, I don't, I don't belong to that government. And that is the same as, as the rat race pulls at you and the desire to be prettier, thinner, smarter, more ambitious or whatever, as that lie comes to you, 
you don't owe it anything. We, we, we used to, but we don't owe it anything anymore. And so he's saying, we used, to be, we used to be slaves of sin, but we're not anymore. And so our freedom comes, and here's the part, here's the liberating moment. It comes through obeying the pattern of, look, teaching. It's, it's not moving countries or, or even necessarily getting new friends right away or changing something drastically. It's, it's just understanding. It says a new teaching, and it now claims our allegiance, our rights and responsibilities. We, we don't have the right to isolationism anymore. We don't have the right to pride anymore. We don't have the right to arrogance anymore. And that's a good thing because we are now a slave to right relationship. We are guided by his eyes, not by the government. We're guided by his communication, his intimacy, to use the word of the day. And so let's, let's, let's sit there. What is that? What is the truth that needs to be trusted this morning? And, and what is the truth that is doing warfare on our behalf? And what is the battle and the victory that's already been won in our life that's just been waiting to unpack? That's the question I would leave you with here as we take communion. I'm going to ask um, some of our deacons to come forward as we kind of get ready for communion. Every second Sunday of the month, we're kind of making it our habit, our pattern, our rhythm to uh, do communion. Um, communion uh, is uh, the bread and the cup. It represents um, the, the broken body and the blood shed uh, for us. And we'll, we'll take that in a moment. Um, I heard a pastor one time say that the communion reminds us that he was broken for us, that we might be made whole and fixed in him. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's exactly what this is about. This is about dying in his death and living in his life. That's precisely what communion is about. And it's, it's literally partaking, not just observing, but taking it in and, and becoming one, communing with him. That's what communion w- would mean. And, uh, and that is important, the, the act, activity of, of declaring that I'm one with his death and I will, I will be made new and whole in his brokenness. And that's, that's, that's what Jesus has done is he's, he's taken all of the sin and all of the chaos and all of the, the bloodshed and, the, and, and all of the injustice and he's, and he's absolved it into himself. He's absolved it into himself and he let it kill him. But, but the, story, uh, the story continues and takes shape in our life today, not just that he was a good man that died for us in an ethical uh, example, but that he was a supernatural man and that when he died, death died with him and he was not dead forever, that he raised again on the third day and that is where we live today. We are not just walking around with Lazarus resurrection, we're walking around with new birth resurrection and we are the first fruits, the scripture says, of what will go on for eternity, kingdom, prosperity, healing, and oneness with God forever and ever. Amen. And that's exactly what we remind ourselves at communion. And so we want to take it with intention this morning. The scriptures uh, ask us to meditate and not just go through the rote, um, you know, uh, sacrament of taking the communion, but actually be repentant and reflective in our heart and celebratory in our heart. What does the death of Jesus mean to you today? What does the broken body mean to you? What does the blood poured out mean to you? We want to do this every month as a, as just an automatic to, to remind ourselves and to celebrate with one another um, that, that he, has, he has died on our behalf and death has died with him and now we get to live in resurrection life. Amen? Would you stand with me as uh, we close in prayer? And I'm gonna have Timothy and the band to come forward to help us just respond with worship. But Holy Spirit, would you just, we, 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 we invite you into this place. You're already here, but we, we invite you, we host you in this place, God, to do your work and to do your business, God. And we thank you 
uh, for moments like these, opportunities and altars, Lord God, to come before you and to become who we really were supposed to be, to lay down before you what was not ours to hold and, and receive from you what didn't belong to us but was purchased for us on the cross. And so that there would be a great exchange today, Lord God, for each and every person under the sound of my voice as we come to you in faith that we would lay down things that don't belong and we would pick up the things that we could never have earned uh, based on the bread and the cup. We thank you for these things and we listen to you and look to you now um, as we take communion together. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc. 